my name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Uh, I am here today with M. Malloy, uh, whose first name is Marley. Uh, Marley, do you recognize that music? I do. It makes me want to play. I did not realize until I put the game in recently how familiar that music was to me. <laughs> is that that music playing during the, the loading screen? Uh, It'll haunt your dreams. It's it's the sort of thing where if I had been out in the wild and I'd heard that music, I would have. I'm not sure I would have known it was from Oblivion, but I would have known that I knew it, and I would have thought, is that is that from World of Warcraft or is that from Lord of the Rings or? <laughs> Uh, is that some Stravinsky piece? Uh, but yeah, it's definitely uh, embedded in my brain. Uh, now, we're going to talk about Oblivion in a little bit, and I'm really eager to do that because shortly before we recorded, I kind of rediscovered it, and I'm a little bit mad at you for that as well. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. But first, uh, I'd like to talk a bit uh, about you. Now, you work, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you do IT work at some rinky-dink little college on the East Coast. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Very rinky-dink. Yeah, it's some dippy little place. I, I think I've visited there once or twice. And what, what place is that? That would be Harvard University. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it like working at Harvard University? Uh, very disjointed. It's probably uh, the most broken-up university I've ever heard of. Everybody has their own uh, IT department, so there's absolutely no communication between the different branches, like the Kennedy School and the Law School and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you work... Uh, for all of those different branches? I, I do not. I work only for one of them, um, which is the extension school, actually. Mm-hmm. And is it a lot of, uh, is, is it glamorous work? It was extremely glamorous. <laughs> we actually had um, one of our, uh, the deans giving a presentation today because today is the 100th birthday of the extension school. Ah, well, happy 100th anniversary. Wow. <laughs> Did you guys get any sort of a uh, free breakfast or anything out of the deal? I would hope they at least did something like that for you. We actually got a huge cake. It was a cake that looked exactly like the seven stories of 51 Bravo Street. Ah, now, what is 51 Bravo Street? That would be the extension school. Ah, uh, uh, okay. And is that actually the building where you work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nobody come visit unless you tell me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Make sure to announce yourself. Uh, do you have much of a commute? I uh, No, not at all. Um, I live pretty close, so I just walk into work every day. It takes me about an hour. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, when I was out there, I got around on a bicycle all the time, which was normally fine except in the, in the winter. Uh, and, and I so, if I never have to experience another Boston winter, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I remember having to bundle up and knowing that every piece of exposed skin was going to be in pain uh, because it's cold, Plus, on a bicycle, you've got the, the wind chill factor going. Right, yeah. And drivers out there are crazy. Like, I think it's a pretty, it, it's a relatively hostile city. As far as the few places I've seen, it's relatively hostile to, to bicyclers. Oh, definitely. And pedestrians, well, it depends. If you're driving, you own the road and the pedestrians better get out of your way. We call them pigeon people at that point because <laughs> they scatter if you speed up. Uh, just like that. pigeons and throwing bread. But uh, if you're a pedestrian, you actually have the right of way by law to be in the street, so you own the road, and everyone has to stop for you. So, it, you know, it can be pretty tense. Now, are you from there? Is that home for you? Yes, I grew up here. You don't sound like you're from Boston. What happened there? That's because I'm not drunk or tired yet. <laughs> that kicks in later. Awesome. Now, also another cool thing about you, uh, did you did you get your master's in archaeology? I did. And how on earth does that happen? 
<laughs> very slowly. It's a very painful process. It happens when your father brings you to the Museum of Science to see the Ramses exhibit when you're eight years old, and then you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> uh, and is this something that you want to use to teach? Because uh, getting, I, I know someone who got a master's degree, uh, it, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of work, and then I promptly did absolutely nothing. Nothing. <laughs> uh, so, are you in a similar boat, or is this something that? What's your best case scenario for what you might do with this master's? Best case scenario is that I would eventually move on to get my PhD, and then I would want to teach and get my own dig, actually. Um, I'm not sure how feasible that is because money's in IT right now and archaeology does not pay the bills. And a PhD, Marley, wow. I, I have to, because that was the point. What I got my master's in was just something that I was personally interested in. I wasn't obsessed with it. It was very cool to me. I loved studying it. I loved reading about it. I loved writing about it. But once it got to the, the point where I had to ask myself, do I want to get a PhD, I realized that those weren't enough. I had to be kind of obsessed with it. Uh, the level of work that it takes to get a Ph.D., I admire anybody who can go that far. Um, well, you were in the Divinity School, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Did you have to write a um, thesis at the end of your master's program? <laughs> how dare you call me out on that. Uh, <laughs> so, so after I just got finished talking about how hard work it was, and it was kind of hard work, the Divinity School, I believe, is notoriously easy. It, it's an easy place to get a master's degree. Uh, I did not have to do a thesis. I was able to apply towards my master's degree uh, classes in like Shakespearean acting. Oh, oh, I took a class. <laughs> I took a class and this applied towards my master's in opera. Uh, wow. One of the one of the enduring passions I got from Harvard was not for theology, but was for opera. From taking that class and working in the music library uh, as a, a work study program. Um, so yeah, is that is that true? Like, did you know that uh, that my master's degree was easier than the the average master's degree? No, actually, but I know that a lot of master's degree programs surprisingly don't require a thesis, and mine did, which is why I would not want to go for a Ph.D. anytime soon because it was the hardest process I have ever been through. Now, can you break down for lay people like me what your thesis was about, what, what, what you did it on? Oh, let's see. It would require you to go to Wikipedia and look up the uh, Prince of the Lilies or the Priest King of Knossos, um, I looked at Minoan wall paintings. The Minoans were uh, a Bronze Age civilization in Greece, actually on the island of Crete. And I believe that I have found a new position in art um, based on, it gets complicated, but the, the position of a hand over a chest that will tell you what direction the figure is facing, because with wall paintings you usually have very fragmentary um, really tiny, tiny pieces. It's like, it's like having pieces of a puzzle, and you don't know what the puzzle looks like, and you probably only have a third of the pieces, and you have to try to figure out what it looks like and what the meaning was. And uh, the people who discovered all of this, really Arthur Evans in the 1900s, did a fantastic, really just great job trying to piece together this completely unknown civilization that didn't leave a written record behind, or at least a written record that we can, we can read. Um, but he took a huge amount of liberties, and those liberties were taken as fact. And because of this, you have images like the uh, priest king of Knossos, which has uh, only a very few tiny pieces that are real that he put together to be this iconographic uh, king of uh, the Minoan people. And there's really no evidence for that. So I basically go in and completely deconstruct his reconstruction. Look at you. What a, what a little upstart you are. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I have to say it has been uh, debated for about a century. So I'm, this is not new ground. What I was bringing to the argument was that I thought I had uh, recognized uh, new positioning that could be used or um, so that you could look at a figure and know which direction it's facing. And that just happened to prove that the pieces of the priest king that were put together probably don't belong together. Now, I, I don't know if you know this, Marley, but do you, do you realize like how how really awesome that sounds when you describe <laughs> that? I mean, does, does you talking about that set seem really mundane to you? Because listening to that, that sounds incredibly cool. See, uh, I think I sound so stupid when I say things because I have to pause and I don't know the right words to say and I'm nervous anyway about this interview. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what but, uh, you? Uh, I'm glad people find it interesting. Uh, I mean, Knossos is where we get the the labyrinth and the minotaur from. Um, And it's something that I've been interested in ever since I heard about it. So it is a very, very small field. And actually, my thesis advisor was one of the most world-renowned scholars in this uh, department. So it was really great. And I like kind of introducing the Minoans and the Mycenaean people to the world who might not people who might not have heard about them. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm, I'm totally serious when I say, and I don't mean this because you're a girl. I would, I would say this to a dude, but that that is an incredibly like like sexy topic. I, I <laughs> uh, so and um, yeah, so you know, because if I were to talk about, I, I remember talking about what I studied, you know, my degrees in Old Testament studies, um, the kind of stuff I could talk about. Like, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark helped what you just said sound really cool. The only thing I could do on that level is talk about things like the diacritical marks in Hebrew and the book of Ruth, and, and that would put anyone to sleep, like all <laughs> of that stuff right there. But talking about the positioning of a hand and what clue you can get from that and how it relates to the, the stories of Canossus, that's just awesome. Uh, so uh, well, tip that. Uh, now, uh, is this something that now that you've finished your master's degree, do you feel like you're kind of burned out on it, or is this something that you still enjoy studying and reading about and keeping up with, or did you finish the Masters and just kind of wipe your hands of it for the time being? I'm still absolutely fascinated with the culture and the archaeology. Um, I'm not fascinated with writing papers. <laughs> um, I have ideas that I think I could turn into it like a dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't have the time or the money to attend the university right now, mm-hmm. although it is quite tempting to want to move to Oxford and pretend I am at Hogwarts. <laughs> is that a Harry Potter reference? It is. <laughs> now, uh, you have been in, at uh, actual digs, correct? Yes. What is that like? Debunk what it's like for us from everybody who's, who thinks of it as Indiana, as, as Raiders of the Lost Ark. What is well, an actual the, dig like? The Onion has a great article on it where we're always waking up evil spirits that chase us through the desert. <laughs> um, but actually, it's not that exciting. It is the hardest work I have ever done in my life where you usually go, I've been to Israel and I've been to Greece. Um, And you have to wake up extremely early in the morning. You have to get there before the sun is up because around 1 or 2 p.m. it becomes way too hot to be out there. So you get up at the early hours of the morning, probably 3 or 4 a.m. You're out there by 5. There are pickaxes and you have to watch out for scorpions and don't sit on the sandbags. And the first thing you do, depending on how old the dig is, is uh, just chart out your grids. So you got to get the tape measure and make sure that it starts at zero and get to know all of your fellow companions who don't want to be awake either. <laughs> and then they hand you, depending on where you are, When I, the first dig I was on in Israel it was in Ashkelon, about 10 miles north of Gaza. And uh, they handed us basically what were um, the ends of sweet brooms. 
And they said, okay, go ahead. For the first week, what you're going to do is you're going to clean the dirt. And we were like, what? And we basically had to sit there and uh, brush all of the uh, loose dirt off of other dirt. <laughs> and then they gave us these uh, kind of like little hammers. And they said, all right, what we want you to do is remove the top layer. The top layer is really just uh, what's left over from the rainstorms that come through. And so when you get to the layer that's gray, you need to stop. Don't go too far down. We don't want you digging a hole. Well, I don't know if you've ever dug a hole in Israel, but it's all gray. And so you basically had to learn to differentiate between a dark gray and a light gray and a slightly less lighter gray when the sun wasn't even up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting and it's fun and it's painstaking. And sometimes they give you a pickaxe and let you tear down a stone wall. And that was always my favorite. Now, are there ever moments where you are, and this is the stereotypical archaeologist in a movie moment, where you are brushing the dust from the lid of a sarcophagus, or is that something that only the, the higher-level dudes get to do? Nope. If you are in the right place, you get to do it. Um, in Israel, I was actually in Grid 38, which was uh, about 15 layers down in the dig, and it was a settlement. So we didn't come across many settlements, uh, many, sorry, uh, cemeteries or tombs, the occasional um, floor burial. Um, I found a baby in an ash pit, uh, which was really cool. Um, But there was a section that was devoted entirely to tombs. And so they would open up a new tomb and the volunteers would crawl in on their bellies because it was um, under tons of, uh, I forget what kind of rock it was, but they basically had to chisel their way in and it was a very small opening and they would have to kind of like crawl in and then spend the entire time on their stomach with toothbrushes cleaning off the skeletons. Wow. Now, now describe for me finding a baby in an ash pit. That was actually really cool. Um, and I have to give credit to this guy named Mike who would be put in this one spot and he would start digging and he would eventually get bored because he wouldn't find anything. And they would move me over there and within 10 minutes I would make this miraculous discovery um and it was this very small uh room that they ended up naming after me of course it didn't last very long so you tear it down but for that two weeks it was named after me um and we had found a taboon which is an old um like uh beehive oven built into a wall which is the first time they had uh, discovered that and beside it was a clay pit that had been full of ashes that when they had cooked in it they would then clear it out and, and dump it in there and when I was digging through that, um, you had to be very careful because you would find things in there like uh, grinding stones, and you didn't want to just toss it out in case it was important. And I came across a couple of tiny bone fragments. And that wasn't um, very odd because you found bone fragments everywhere. Now, do you know off immediately that it's a bone fragment? Can you tell a bone fragment from other things? Uh, at this time, yes. Okay. Um, what you would do if you were not sure is you would take it and put it to your tongue, and if it stuck, it was bone. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> you would put it to your tongue. You would, you would, and if it, now, because if it's a rock, it would just slide off, but if it was a bone, part of it would dissolve and stick to your tongue. Is that the idea? Exactly, and we were, we were close to the ocean, so it could have been a piece of shell, and you weren't sure. Um, but you would find bone fragments everywhere because they would eat cows and then just, like, toss the bones into the courtyard. Mm-hmm. So the place was just littered with bones. Um, but I started coming down, and it was very obviously a skull, actually, that I was coming down on. And as soon as you make a find like that, especially because I was just a student, you flag down the supervisor and bring them over, and they start, and everyone starts hardly working on it. And when I was there, National Geographic was actually doing a story um, on Ashkelon, 
And so, like, pictures get taken and you have to take measurements and it's just craziness. But that was really cool. Um, now, the skull, when you when you started to realize it was a skull, was it obviously a human skull or could it have been, like, the skull of a cat or dog? Uh, oh, yeah. Once you start coming down, it could be a skull of anything. Okay. But it was large enough that um, you knew it was it was something and you didn't want to just kind of pry it up. Right. So you find it, you discover it, you see, hey, this is a skull, then you call over the supervisors, and they, I presume, uh, keep digging a little further. I mean, they push it further. Are you sitting there watching this thing being exposed over time, or do you get shuffled off somewhere else? Oh, no, we, you get to help. Um, they probably come in with their trowel or their brush, and you start uh, wiping it down and trying to get, uh, basically, depending on how it's situated, you want to get it an even layer across so you can see most of it. So it can be photographed and measured and things like that. Um, and then eventually, I wasn't there when they removed it, um, but that's eventually what happens. Now, here's a weird question, Marley. Uh, is, is it at all, uh, like this sounds very exciting and, you, you know, great, uh, great uh, maybe historical find and the scientific value of it, but is it at all uh, emotional, realizing that this is a little baby from Ashkelon, like do you sort of understand, like, do you, does it tug at, at that part of you at all? It actually doesn't, and that sounds really cold, but I think you have to have a mindset when you're going into something like this and you're going to, you will possibly be digging up people, that you you divorce yourself from the emotional aspect mm-hmm. of it. I mean, there there is some, like, um, not, you don't get really sad that this is a baby, but there there is a recognition that, um, it was probably traumatic at the time to lose an infant like this, and they put it in the safest place they could. Um, but if you start really thinking that you're digging up a, a kid, and I get into arguments about this uh, in seminars all the time, uh, it's like people ask me, well, why don't you just go to, like, a cemetery nowadays? Would you feel the same way if you were digging up a coffin? And, you know, I think I would feel quite different Um doing that so it's 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 a different mindset you have to really divorce yourself from the emotional part of it and just focus on the scientific well and i can also imagine marley that because of the people that you're with and there's probably a sort of an excited buzz about it that it doesn't seem like a solitary experience i mean you're there with a a community studying this and everybody gets very excited and you probably feed off of that Uh, yeah i mean definitely and you you're excited because um you know while it's sad that this young life ended, or even if it was an adult skeleton, you're excited that it can tell you so much about um, these people. And we were digging um, in the Canaanite era, so it was like Philistines, which is really interesting. Ah. Um, And we don't know much about them, and Mm -hmm. we want to find out who they were. And I think they were the Mycenaeans, so that could be a PhD topic for somebody. (laughs) Um, And it just gets, I don't know, you just get excited because you want to know so much about it. And I guess, uh, in a way, that's emotional, too, because it becomes very important to you to find something like that. Right, right. Uh, but now, when you are at a dig, is it like camping? Are you sleeping in a tent and whatnot? Do you go back to the hotel every night? Uh, well, the two digs that I did, we were at a hotel. Um, but you can do digs where you stay in a tent. I would not recommend it because you are so sore by the end of the day that just sleeping on the ground would not be fun. I guess in a way, it probably is like hard labor, isn't it? It's probably not unlike doing construction work. <laughs> yeah, the- you are... You are out in the sun, usually with no shade, for at least eight hours a day. And you are shoveling, and you are clearing land, and you have shovels, and you're picking up what they call goofas full of uh, rocks and rubble that weigh a ton. And so you have huge muscles by the end of it. It really is a fantastic <laughs> workout. 
Now, uh, you being out there in Boston, uh, isn't there a big old penny arcade thing coming up soon? Yes, there is. I hear all about it all the time. And uh, do you get to go to this? I do not, no. It's right there in your neighborhood. Why don't you uh, go? I could stand outside and wave. But, uh. <laughs> uh, so here's the, I, I want to I ask you this, and I promise I won't harp on it, uh, but it's sort of the, the elephant in the room. Uh, but I want, tell me what it's like to be a girl who digs video games. It's hard. No, it's, <laughs> it's really not that bad, and it makes you very popular with guys who play video games. Um, but I would be lying if I said that I was a gamer. There are very few video games that honestly hold my interest, uh, Oblivion being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't find it very like intimidating to talk about it. I find it funny that I'm one of the girls on the board. I mean, I think I pretty much know who the other ones are. I think everybody does. Um, I find it hilarious that nobody can remember that I'm a girl. Um, but that's that's mostly what you run into. Everybody thinks you're a guy. Right. So right. you really don't, I mean, I've never run into a place, maybe if I walked into a gaming store a couple of times and everybody looks at you, but that goes away after a couple of minutes. Now, here, So here's the question I'm curious about. How did you uh, get into video games? Like how did you, was Oblivion the first one? I, surely that's not the first game you got into. What What, what got you into video games? Um, I would probably have to say it was Heroes of Might and Magic way back in the day, along with Civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in a computer lab, and I was the only girl. Um, and the guys would bring in these games that we could play because we were, it was just a um, university lab. We worked very long hours. And so while classes were going on, you would just sit back there, and if nobody asked you for anything, you would play Civilization. Or uh, when Heroes of Might and Magic came out, we played that, and that game was just amazing visually to us. Mm-hmm. Um so that kind of got me into it, and I remember uh, one of my coworkers played Diablo, and he kept kicking barrels that would explode, and I just thought that was the coolest thing <laughs> in the world. But I never played the original. Um, it wasn't until Diablo 2 came out that I actually bought it because I had my own Mac, and uh, I don't know, video game. It just seemed cool, and I remembered the barrel kicking thing, and I loved it. And so I think Diablo 2 was really the game that kind of got me got me into that sort of thing. I mean, I had never played, like, a Dungeons & Dragons thing, um, and I just thought it was really, really fun. Now, did you have a predisposition for, for fantasy stuff before then? Was that something that you were already into, or was that your introduction to it? Uh, I think I had a predisposition for fantasy stuff. Um, hadn't ever done much with it, but I read like crazy when I was younger, just anything in the library that I could get my hands on. Um, my mom, who hates science fiction and fantasy, never understood where I got it from. But I probably slept with the Lord of the Rings trilogy under my pillow uh, when I was, like, in third grade. So I always loved things like that. So, yeah, well, I think there, there you go. I think that's the clue, Marley, is that I, it, it, like the, you, were, you were already kind of a dork, it sounds like. <laughs> you, you had the genetic, you had the material uh, bred in you at a young age from reading dorkly stuff. <laughs> To, to be into video games. Probably. Uh, I did like Star Trek The Next Generation. To put it out there, Q's the best. I don't even know. Now, Q, uh, I, I'm just going to, I don't, I know very little about Star Trek. Is Q, um, oh, uh, John Delancey? Yes, I loved him. Now, do you know, I, I'm not sure why I know that, but when I think of John Delancey, and this is how so non-Star Trek I am, I mainly know him through a TV series called uh, Breaking Bad. 
where he's on, I think he's in the second season as a recurring character in several episodes. But I didn't realize this at the time. He was this big. Now, is, is Q, Q's not a Borg, is he? No, he's one of the Q. He's like an all-super-powerful, omnipotent being who's a real jackass. Is he a bad guy? It's debatable, but he's really funny. Does he kill people? Uh, you could probably... See, now we're going to get all of the Star Trek people all talking about this in the thread. <laughs> you could argue that he introduced the Borg to humanity so that they came and hunted down and killed everybody in that big fight. Or you could say that he warned humanity that the Borg were coming so that they were sort of ready for the attack. So you could go both ways on that one. And now he's he's literally omnipotent? Like he could snap his fingers and make the Borg vanish? Oh, he does that all the time. But, he, you know, not every episode. I was always waiting for him to be in a Star Trek movie, but it never happened. Oh, he's not in any of the movies. No, and that killed me. Because really, oh, those movies could have used him. Well, now, Marley, I, I, I can't help but wonder what, as, as someone who's into, like, drama and narrative, a guy like Q really screws up dramatic tension. If you have someone there who can just change things at will. Let me ask you this, and there may not be any answer for this. What what motivates this guy? Like, why does he do what he does? Is is it is it a known quantity? Can can you talk about like what um, his motivations are? Well, what I think his motivation is is that basically everyone is going to correct me on this, but uh, the Q continuum is kind of not sure if humanity should be allowed to exist, uh, if they're a destructive force, if they should just be wiped out. And so, uh, from the very first episode to the last episode, even though he only makes a few appearances, uh, he's there to basically study humans and he forms ah. a bond with Picard even though it's like a foil kind of thing um, and he puts he basically puts them through the ringer trying to see, gauge what their reactions are if they can be turned bad things like that now uh, you said the Q continuum what what does that is that, that is that like his full name no he's only he's only one of the Q they call him Q because he needs a name but there's a bunch more beings just like him and if you ever read Q Squared by, I think, Peter David, uh, they link it back to Trelane and the original Trek series, which is a really good book. Um, <laughs> you don't watch Star Trek. You have no idea what I'm talking about. I, I, I just find that sort of thing fascinating. I, I had, by the way, Marley, I, I really had no idea you were such a dork. Uh, by <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that I, I am fascinated that you can actually discuss that like you can, because I, you, yeah, you are totally a dork. I was like, oh, this, <laughs> this poor girl, she probably just likes one RPG. But yeah, no, you've you've totally outdorked me. So congratulations. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, um, are you still into Star Trek? Does that is that something you keep up with? I, you know, I never got into DS9, which Behemoron is really mad at me for. Um, but he, and then, he's like a huge DS9 fan. Is that? Oh God, yes. Apparently, everybody who watches DS9 absolutely loves DS9. But I was done with Star Trek: The Next Generation, even though watching episodes now is kind of painful. Now, and so you don't, because there's that whole Scott Bakula Star Trek too, isn't there? Oh, Enterprise. Yeah, I never watched that. Uh, I heard it was kind of funny. But, no, after – I tried to give DS9 a chance, but it seemed very boring to me. They didn't go anywhere. They just stayed on that one place, and there was a wormhole. I don't even know the story. <laughs> apparently, it gets good, but I never watched it. And Q was apparently in one episode, and I never saw that. And then I gave Voyager a try, and Voyager was just god-awful. Nope. And I just didn't even bother with Enterprise. Now, you mentioned that your mother was not into fantasy and science fiction. Uh, no. How did was it literally just picking up like Lord of the Rings as a book one day or something like where because you obviously are into fantasy and science fiction I have now sussed that out I can safely <laughs> say 
You were into both of those things. Uh, where did that come from? Do, I think you know? it came from wanting to be a princess when I was little, quite honestly. Um, and just liking stories and liking mythology. Um, I, I mean, I got into um, basically Egyptology at a very young age. I wanted to be an archaeologist since I was eight. Um, so I read a ton of Greek myth, a ton of uh, Egyptian mythology. Mm-hmm. I even got into the Maya for a little bit there. Um, and I just, I loved stories like that in the supernatural world. And I'm directly related to Rebecca Nurse, who was hanged in the witchcraft trials. So I don't know. I just Wait a minute. Like Hold on. You're, you're descended from a witch. Is that what you're saying? A she suspected witch? witch? An alleged witch? You know, your Salem witch trial? <laughs> An accused witch. So, so you actually can trace lineage to someone who was executed in the Salem witch trials. Yep. She was my, like, great times seven aunt or something like that. That is something else. Very nice. Let's see. The best I can do, um, my aunt did some genealogy, and she was able to trace us back to uh, some woman in the Civil War who I think hid out in a cave with a bunch of her children in Arkansas waiting for the war to blow over. Uh, That's pretty cool, though. That is, that is very cool, yes. Uh, I was, oh, and actually, so here's, here's my grandfather was killed at, uh, at Normandy Beach. That's kind of like a cool tie to a historical thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that will, definitely counts. Yeah, so. Uh, but I like your witch connection, so. Oh, thank uh, you. So, all right. So the, the theme music that we played early on, of course, is to Oblivion. Uh, now, n- normally uh, when folks want to talk about a video game, uh, I, I have a fairly wide but shallow knowledge of, of a lot of different video games. Uh, I hadn't played Oblivion in forever, probably since it came out, and I played it on the, the PC mainly. And spent a little bit of time on the 360. So before we talked, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was they have a mini game where you persuade the NPCs. Uh, I love that game. You know what? I do, I do too, Marley. And I, <laughs> I, I can imagine a lot of people hate it. But I, I when I was thinking last night about, okay, what are some things I remember about Oblivion? I remember liking that game, and I wanted to go back and just look at it real quick. So a couple hours ago, I popped in the disc into my 360 and was just going to go up to an NPC and, and fire up the persuasion mini game and have a look at it. And I ended up playing for about an hour and a half, and I cannot believe, because i got so many other things I should be doing for work, <laughs> I so want to sit down and just play Oblivion now. That, I know, it's great. <laughs> and it's so beautiful how well it holds up. I mean, I, I might be tempted to call it timeless. Uh, I would definitely agree with you there, actually. Now, so describe for me how you came to Oblivion. What, what was it like discovering Oblivion, and did you know what you were in for? Oh, I had no idea. Um, like I said, I really, I don't play video games all that often. Um, I go back to Diablo 2 like every six months or so. If I change computers, eventually I'll install it and play it again. Uh, The Sims was big for me, but again, I play it until it annoys me, and then I don't play it for like a year, and I'll pick it back up again. Um, With Oblivion, um, it was actually, it's Bahimaran's uh, 360 that I play it on. And he had gotten it, and I don't even think he was playing it. And I just, it was on one day, and I decided I was going to make a character. Um, and I did, and I thought it was real. The character creation for me was really cool. Um, I liked being able to design the face, and I really liked being able to design not only, um, you know, what sign you were born under and your race, but then I made myself uh, my own class and designed it to be lucky and good with mercantile skills and things like that. And, and I thought that was just fantastic. Like, I, I like the role-playing aspects of things. People who read the Citadel of Glory thread will know that. Um, so I just really enjoyed that part of it. And when I started up, I had no idea what I was doing. It actually took Bahimaran about 
six weeks to tell me that I didn't have to run from town to town. I could use maps. <laughs> um, but I didn't mind running because I found all these places along the way. So it it was just fantastic for me. And I got really just immersed in um, the world. Um, it, it was beautiful, and I could kill everything, and I could steal everything, and it was just fantastic. Now, do you remember? Because this is one of these these seminal gaming moments, and Bethesda knows it. They they stage these so well. Do you remember <laughs> coming out of the the sewers the first time? Because you go yeah. through the dungeon. I mean, that it, is that that's one of those things that will be etched in your brain forever. I would imagine. Yeah, it really is. And I just remember thinking, wow, this this game is beautiful, and you. It wasn't just that you could look at the scenery like straight ahead. You could look up at the sky and see the moon and the stars. And then I remember being amazed the first time the weather changed. That ah, was right. just fantastic. Yeah. Now, how did you approach it when you started playing it? Because, and here's why I ask, when I, when I played on the, on the PC, uh, I, I probably had a review, so I was going through the storyline. But when I booted up my Xbox 360 version today, I noticed I, I'd logged uh, 48 hours and some odd minutes. And I'd only closed two gates. <laughs> so you can you can completely ignore the storyline in Oblivion, or you can just sort of make a beeline along it. Uh, what was your approach when you first started playing? Well, this is where I'm going to get a lot of hate because I hate stories. I don't know why, but I hate stories in games. I just want to go do – I don't listen to NPCs when they talk to me. I, I A through that menu. <laughs> Uh, and it drives Behemoron crazy. He will not be in the same room with me when I am playing a game because he's like, how will you know what to do? Well, the journal will record it, and if I get stuck, it'll look at that. I don't talk to anybody. Hardly. <laughs> I know. It's like I skipped the best parts of the game, and part of me knows it, but um, I played the the main quest first, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because it was uh, it was just very an easy way to level, pretty much, and I got to kill a lot of things, and that's my favorite part of the game. Just going around killing everything. I'm going to sound like a sociopath here in a minute. <laughs> um, but I, so I did the main quest and spoilers for people who haven't played a game that was released a billion years ago. But, you know, you go find Martin and you close the Oblivion Gate. And uh, I have logged quite a few more hours on that game than you have. Now, but I would I would put aside the main quest to just go, like, do the caves that I would stumble across in the mines and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, now I should point out that 48 hours is just on the 360. I have no idea how many hours I've clocked <laughs> on the PC, so I might be able to match your time played. But, but go ahead and fess up. How many hours do you have logged on it? I actually checked this just for when I talked to you. I have 247 hours logged on it, and I want Holy you to keep cow. in mind this is not my Xbox 360. So I actually have to go to Behemoron's place to play it. Wow. Okay, Marley, you've totally trumped me. That's very nice. <laughs> now, so I'm curious, when you were talking about some of the other games you, you played and that you like, you did not mention an MMO. So am I correct that you've never gotten into, like, the whole World of Warcraft thing? Um, well, here's another sociopathic thing. I hate playing in groups. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I play Diablo 2, I just like to play it on my on my Mac mm-hmm. or PC. It's going to start a new argument in that thread. Um I and World of Warcraft, I I did try. I started playing it, but you eventually get to a point where you need to start working with other people, right. and I was just not interested. I just wanted to run around killing things. So, because that's one of the things that I really like. It's so easy to spend 250 hours in Oblivion because there are so many different kinds of activities, 
and it really creates a sense of not an adventure where you have to go from point A to point B to point C. It creates a sense more of here's a world, approach it as you will. Like you talked about exploring mines, you know, explore mines. If you want, gather plants, uh, hunt deer, uh, you know, just visit the cities. So it, it's very much like the single player approach to an MMO, I think. Uh, no, I completely agree, and I, that's really what I love about it. I mean, I've put in a ridiculous amount of time into Oblivion, and I was playing it the other day and finding things I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, is just absolutely fantastic. And I'm not talking about, like, uh, mines and quests, even though I still find those. Um, I, I like to go everywhere, so I was trying to hop my way up the mountains, which really is hard sometimes. Yeah, that and whole, like, you move diagonally to try to get a little vertical if you go to the side. Yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah, exactly. And I got to, like, the top of this mountain, and there was a treasure chest up there in front of a little gravestone. And the gravestone didn't say anything on it, and I think the little treasure chest had, like, something ridiculous, like maybe 50 gold or something like that in there. But I just had to pause, and I was like, wow, what a, what an absolutely wonderful thing. Uh, attention to detail here, that this place where most people probably won't go, I mean, I wouldn't have even minded if the treasure chest wasn't there, that the little gravestone was just, I don't know, it just made me feel like this is an actual world. I don't know how to describe it. No, that, I mean, they, it's like Bethesda knows that you're going to explore and they want to reward you. If you're going to go through the pain in the butt of getting up that mountain, they're going to put a little detail up there to make the trip worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, and I really appreciated that. Yep. Yep. Now, uh, what kind of character did you play? Because it, it seems there's kind of you can either play, you can either rely on magic or, uh, or arrows or melee. Uh, did it break down that simply for you? Were you a little bit of everything? Um, I started out, I was a, a thief. I was a thief who did melee combat, mm-hmm. um, usually sneaking up behind somebody and stabbing them in the back. And I'll bet you were stealing a bunch of stuff, too, weren't you? Oh, my God, I steal everything. <laughs> I love to steal food. It's, like, my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> Honestly, I just, I would steal. I go around and play for hours doing nothing but stealing things. It's fantastic. I say fantastic a lot, but that's what I think about the game. Well, when I, when I was, uh, again, looking at it and trying to sort of wrap my head around, okay, what is all this stuff? Going through my inventory, I was like, what are, what are those little red hand icons on those things? <laughs> uh, I, I love, even though it's a sort of a kludgy gameplay mechanic, I love their law and order system. You know, if you, if you take something, then you're, you're, there's a little, you've committed a crime. <laughs> you know, and the, the city guards will hold you accountable. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love the fact that they acknowledge that. And they let you, you know, you talk about being a sociopath, they let you run around <laughs> and just steal everybody's food and their dishes and whatnot. Oh, I steal everything. But you know what? The, the law system is something that I have a problem with mm-hmm. because I saved their goddamn world. They just cut me some slack when I want to steal an apple instead of arresting me immediately. So I guess that means... Since George Bush saved us from the terrorists, you're okay with them doing illegal wiretapping? Is that a fair? Well, okay, I have, I have a better example. I have a better example. In the last, when you're de- defeating the last Oblivion Gate, and it's just like mass chaos, and there's a bunch of NPCs on your side that uh-huh. go up to fight the demons pouring through with you, mm-hmm. um, I accidentally happened to kill the guy who was helping me. So at the end, I defeated Murderer. I, shh. <laughs> It was accidental, okay? I couldn't tell him from the demon. I was just swinging wildly. Um, but at the end, there's, this, of course, a little, like, not a cut scene, but the, the people are like, oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And it's this guard. And then immediately when it stops, the first thing he says is, you know, you have to come with me. Right. 
you have broken the law. And I'm like, really? I just saved the world, and you're going to arrest me because in the midst of a heated combat, I happened to accidentally kill this guy? The demons were probably going to kill him anyway. And I had to kill everybody there then to get away. So no. That is, I mean, you do, that's, that's the risk that Bethesda takes making a generous open world like that, is there are going to be those kind of brittle AI issues, and it will break from time to time. Uh, and it's always funny when it does that. But I, I infinitely prefer their ambitious approach, even if it breaks sometimes, to a more limited uh, gameplay design. Uh, yeah, I can't really complain because any time I get approached by a guard, I just kill them all and then I run away <laughs> until it's over. Now, I want to tell you how someone killed Oblivion for me. There's a fellow on the on the forum named Gordon Cameron, and when I was playing uh, Oblivion, Gordon Cameron came around, and I forget if he read this online or, but he explained how. And I'm a little fuzzy about the details, so you might have to correct me. But there's 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 like invisibility, but then there's a skill I think called chameleon, um, yeah. and invisibility. If you fight someone, I think it breaks and you're visible. But if you get your chameleon up high enough, you can attack people, and they still won't see you. So the way the spells work is your chameleon is only I think it's like a percentage, like thirty percent or forty percent. But Gordon explained to me how you could make a magic item or a collection of them. I think it took a whole suit, and you could get your chameleon up to around 100%, to where basically you could move through the world and never be visible to anyone, no matter what you did. And once I did this on the PC, it broke the game. There was no reason to play anymore. Because you could walk up behind a guard, you could kill him, and he wouldn't know you were there. You could do anything you wanted. And uh, and it, it really did take pushing a lot of the game systems. Like, it took a lot of stuff with harvesting the soul gems, or I forget exactly how it worked, and you had to do something with these moon gate or moon altars, uh, but it's a really complicated procedure, and if you wanted to follow it to its logical conclusion, you could break the game. Uh, now, did you ever do anything like that? Did you ever, like, go online and find ways to exploit the systems, or did you move through Oblivion in a totally honest manner of figuring it out on your own? Uh, with the exception of times when I was in one of those uh, puzzle ruins that was just driving me crazy, uh, I've never looked at a map or read a walkthrough or anything like that. So I would not know how to make that. Uh, but even if I did, you know, I I don't think that would break the game for me because for me, I'm interested in finding what's in every chest. I don't know. I get really excited to discover new magic items and things like that and try to build a better set of armor. I'm always swapping armor out, and God, Behemoron will tell you that I dropped the best sword of the game in a cave once because I was overloaded, and I've never been able to find it since. <laughs> so does it I'm stay on the ground? Or that does, sword. <laughs> do you know, does it vanish, or if you drop something and leave it long enough? I think it stays because God only knows I pick up baskets because I steal food like crazy, <laughs> and I end up dropping them in the shops where I go to sell everything. Because um, they're not worth anything, so why hold on to them? Um, and they're always still there, so I think somewhere in my game, in a cave <laughs> that had vampires and water, my sword is in the water somewhere. So I now, have to go back and find it. Uh, did you fiddle with any of the downloadable content? There were, I, I think there was like a Knights of the Nine, there were Shivering Isles, uh, oh, the horse armor. Did you get the horse armor, by the way? I don't think I got the horse armor. Actually, I kill my horse. Um, accidentally, I kill my horse. Wow, you are a um, sociopath. 
I don't, I don't kill my horse for fun and profit, but I do sometimes kill horses. Um, that sounds terrible out of context. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I, it's uh, you're out riding around and you get attacked and the horse dies. Is that what you mean? Yeah, well, yeah, you have to, or, you know, you get off the horse and he gets in the way. What are you going to do? <laughs> Wait, so you can get blocked in by a horse where you have to kill it to, to move? Well, you could probably move, but it's faster to just go through the horse. You, so you so, Marley, don't care about, like, the narrative. Do You know what? Here, is this correct? Are you playing Oblivion kind of like it's Diablo? Like, for you, is it mainly about the loot and the combat? Um... I would say yes, but also um, when I made my character, uh, she was uh, an assassin. I got to the head of the Assassin's Guild. Um, mm-hmm. That was the first thing I did. And then I did the Thieves Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that she wouldn't mind going around killing everybody. Okay, that's role-playing. Fair enough. Uh, now, did any of the, even though you apparently skip all the dialogue and probably had no idea what was <laughs> going on, uh, did any of the side quests make a big impression on you? Um, I actually, we just asked about downloadable content. I did do the Shivering Isles, um, and I thought that that was really well executed. Um, it was beautiful, first of all, and it was really interesting how they split the two sides of the kingdom. I thought it was too, it was too small to hold my interest for long. I've only, I went through when I did all of the major quests. And I think I found everything that I needed to find. And I thought that the side quests there were basically kind of like busy work quests, which I'm not interested in. And they never go away, and that bothers me because they stay in my journal, and I like to close the quests in my journal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was like, you know, one, one guy wants you to collect calipers or tongs or something, and he just thanks you every time he brings them by, and it stays open, and that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the madness quest, um, I forgot what the other side is called. Um, but I just thought that those were really, really interesting. And the fact that they posted an NPC guard at the gate where you could pass through who, like, wouldn't want to talk to you when you came back out. I, I just thought that was very well done. Now, uh, uh, were you do, you, do you remember any of the characters specifically? Like, are there in the world of Oblivion people that stood out for you? Um, there was Martin because you had to have him follow you around and not get killed for a while. Um, was that Sean Bean? That was the Sean Bean dude, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That's right. Uh, Patrick Stewart didn't stick around long enough for me to care. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. Your buddy Picard. That's, I'm yeah. now making that connection. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love Patrick Stewart, but it seems like if you give him a dollar, he will do whatever you want him to do. <laughs> that's terrible. Now, have you ever seen a TV show uh, with Ricky Gervais called Extras? Yes. And, and have you seen the Patrick Stewart episode? Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I noticed that your your character is female. Do you yeah. routinely play women in RPGs, and does that matter to you? Uh, I don't know if it matters, but I think I always play females. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess it must matter. Uh, even in Diablo 2, actually, now that I think about it, I first played a sorceress, and then when the uh, expansion pack came out, I played an assassin. Although I think I might have played an assassin. No, it was definitely a girl. Okay. Uh, now, you mentioned that you did not hate the Persuasion uh, minigame. Uh, what, uh, ha- have you ever played? So, so the Persuasion thing reminded me of uh, there's, a, there's a series of they're kind of strategy games called Romance of the Three Kingdoms, uh, and they're set in ancient China. And there was, a, I think, number 10 or something. A few years ago, there was one where when you would meet another character, 
you could have debates with him, and you guys would basically play arguments against each other, and it was a little mini-game. And if you, you won, I think you became your buddy. Uh, and then there was an MMO called Vanguard, and in Vanguard, they had a whole collectible card game that was based around conversations with people. So you would meet someone, and you would it was called diplomacy, actually, and you would have this diplomacy track of advancement for your character, and it involved collecting cards and then playing them in the conversation minigame. And you could literally, in a conversation with someone, play the race card. Like You could literally <laughs> play a card that would proclaim that like elves were the superior race. <laughs> Uh, so I, I love this idea that uh, that of having a mini game based around convincing someone to like you a, a little bit more. Uh, so so you enjoyed that. You didn't hate the persuasion mini game. No, I really liked it. I mean, I thought it was another role play uh, thing. It uh, since I wanted to basically build what was a, a social assassin or a social mm-hmm. rogue, I guess. Uh, it was perfect for me because she could steal everything and then get great prices for it. Because <laughs> it, it, it did the thing, too. Like, it it had the weird, you turn the wheel to try to fit the, the pie slice in the positive slots. But you could only turn the wheel, I think, based on whether or not you had, like, a, a speech craft skill, right? I, yeah, I think so. Um, but you were limited no matter what to the amount of times you could do it. Right, right, um, exactly, yeah. But, and sometimes I, it was actually really hard to tell because there were only four options, and two of them, uh, the person, the MC we were talking to would make like a mean face. One was a really mean face, and one was a slightly mean face. Then one was a really happy face, and one was just kind of a slightly happy face. Mm-hmm. And it was sometimes really hard to tell between slightly <laughs> happy and slightly mad, especially if you're talking to like a guard who wore a full face mask. Ah. They had to go back and forth and kind of just, guess that first time and depending they would always have like a little bit of dialogue that say a line after you did each one and you would have to kind of guess which one of those was the good and which one was the bad i was when i was just now looking at it i was thinking okay you got to look at the eyebrows but yeah i guess if they've got too big of a helmet on you can't necessarily trust that it, it that rarely happens but with that the helmets and the lizard people i actually find very hard to read <laughs> uh, for those those middle expressions. So I have to be very careful and I usually spin the wheel a couple of times to try to figure out which one is which. Mm-hmm. Now, from uh, Oblivion, did you go on to any other RPGs? Like, were you curious about Fallout 3, for instance? Uh, no. And is that a setting thing? or? And the reason I ask, Marley, is because uh, Fallout 3 is the same approach that Oblivion takes that they they honed a lot of the systems. They really finessed a lot of the, the gameplay. Uh, and that was the post-apocalyptic one, right? Exactly. It's a post-apocalyptic setting. The idea is that uh, the world was in a, a sort of ideal 50s era, but with advanced technology, um, and then a, a nuclear war hit, and it's the post-apocalypse to an alternative 50s era hit history. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely say that that's a setting issue for me. Um, I actually don't like sci-fi so much. Uh, and <laughs> Star Wars, that okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I can I can do like I don't know mild sci-fi, but like here's a confession for you: I didn't like Ender's Game. I don't like things that are real heavy on the science or future settings. I guess I don't I don't know. It it really takes a lot for me to like it, and I think part of the Star Trek thing was that I was I was young when it came out, um, 
And it was kind of like, that was back when I was seeing my dad like every other weekend. And he was a huge Star Trek fan from the original series. And so uh, he lived in a high rise and basically all we did was watch TV. Mm-hmm. So that was like what you did on Saturday night. Uh, by the way, I can trump your confession. I don't even really know what Ender's Game is, except <laughs> it's an Orson Scott card thing. And no, that's even worse. All right. Yeah. And it... <laughs> uh, so, did Oblivion lead to you playing other RPGs? No, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't get into games. I did play. I think it was Kotor Two. Um, which does that count? I, see, I don't even know the categories. Well, you said you don't like sci-fi except for Star Wars, so that definitely falls under that category. That, that yeah, Star I didn't like that game at all. Ah, which makes me a very a minority, I think. And I won't talk about it because somebody else might want to. But I basically flew through that game, and uh, but Himeron had started it, and I took over, and he never played it because he said I ruined it for him because I wouldn't listen to the story, and I just went ahead and did my <laughs> own thing. Well, uh, that, now I'm curious because. Well, why did uh, KOTOR not work for you? Um, it was very linear. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't explore anything. Um, I, I don't know. And it was also, it felt very unfinished, um, which I think is a complaint a lot of people have. But you had a lightsaber, so you kind of didn't care. <laughs> well, I, I, think, uh, and I, I think part of what you're hitting on, Marley, is the difference in approaches that Dragon Age, or Dragon Age, uh, Bioware, the folks who made KOTOR and, uh, in Dragon Age, and actually Obsidian might have been KOTOR too. But anyway, that whole approach uh, where the worlds are built out of uh, almost literally little boxes connected together, and you move to this section and then to this section and that section. Right. Uh, and, and it's very much a lot of their focus is on the writing. It's very much about reading these these, these text entries and reading the dialogue. Uh, and, and the mechanics aren't nearly, they're, they're much more contrived. They're not nearly as, uh, I, hate to use the word, I hate to use the word immersive, but that so applies to Oblivion. They're not about dropping you into this world and just letting you be there. They're about moving you through these little boxes with a bunch of written narrative. Uh, and that's a really old school comp- way to do a computer RPG. Uh, and it's part of what I love about Oblivion is it's it it doesn't use that that format. Uh, yeah, I think I, I actually played Fable Two. I think it was ah. another one, and I didn't like that one because I thought it did it was very linear, and you had to yeah. go from one place to the other, and then you never needed to go back. Yeah, and and it's those little sections again too. Exactly. And you had to use magic, or you were boned. <laughs> Do you not like using magic? Magic is awesome. <laughs> no, I wanted to use guns. I just I wanted to be a gun person. Ah. I couldn't do it. it. I mean, you could, but you would just die so often. And then you have one magic spell, and boom, the whole group is dead. So here's what here's what happened to me when I uh, just now jumped into Oblivion. So I I jumped in. I looked at the persuasion thing, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I've only closed two gates. I'm going to go close a gate before I do the the podcast with Marley. I'm gonna I'm gonna have that to show for. My, my visit back to Oblivion. So I went through a gate, and, and then I realized I was playing like an archer character. So I was having to do the whole run backwards and keep shooting arrows thing. <laughs> uh, and then I, I once ran off a bridge into lava, and I was like, okay, I've got to just be more careful about where I'm going. And then I freaking ran out of arrows. Uh, oh, God. And, and then I got lost. And, and, so, and, and there's kind of a learning curve dealing with that stuff when you get back into an RPG about being gone so long. Uh, and, and there was all the stealth stuff, and there were. So here was one of the things that I also loved discovering was when you go through the gates, 
how it looks completely different than the regular world. It's sort of like Bethesda Trixie with this beautiful, lush uh, fantasy setting with a forest and there's beautiful lakes. But then every now and then you have to step into hell. Right. Uh, where it's, it's red and there's a whole different set of flora and the, the plants. Like there, there were mines. There were plants that would pop up like a minefield yep. and, and blow up. Uh, and, and so I, I love that, that idea that there are little pockets of hell popping up and you've got to go in. Now, now how do you shut the gates down? Because that was another thing. As I was wandering around, I was finally getting used to using the, the, the arrows again. Uh, do, you just, do you find a switch in there? Uh, I don't remember. I think you you have to take a signal or something at the top of the tower, which ah. requires kill a bunch of people. Um, it's been a long time since I did the main quest. No, no, that sounds very familiar. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. Good. Uh, so, is there anything that you are playing now? Um, Sims Three. Aha! Right. Right. And now, how do you approach that? Uh, out of curiosity, like, is that a uh, bang on it and see if you can break things? Do you, do you create a family and try to nurture them? Do you have one guy and try to become super successful? What's, what's your approach to Sims 3? Um, I basically do a family, um, so it might be, like, all young adults or something like that. Um, and I try to win by getting all of their skills up as high as possible. And the World Adventures, uh, is that what it's called? Yeah, have yeah. That. Because that's got, doesn't that have... Santa. Ah, and doesn't that have archaeology or something? It does. You get to explore tombs in uh, France and China and Egypt, and I think it's hilarious. And what do you do? Because I have not seen World Adventures yet. What what do you do in a tomb? Like, how do they make you explore a tomb? It's actually, it's a lot of little um, puzzles where they have, uh, you can inspect walls to find hidden walls. Um, <clears throat> or they could have, uh, like, a stone you have to step on or you have to drag a statue over here. Uh you have to notice this tiny little thing in the floor that you have to pull. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really buried, and I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, now, before – oh, you know what? Wait, before we – actually, I want to loop back real quick to uh, Oblivion because I wrote down two things here I wanted to ask you about that bug some people, and I'm curious if these things bug you about Oblivion. Okay. One of them is the way that the enemy uh, levels ramp up along with, with you. Uh, that early on when you're running around your first level and you go to shut a gate, you know, everybody in the gate is low level. But if you want to go out in the world and get super powerful and then shut the gate, when you come back, everybody at the gate is magically your same level again. And it's the same with random encounters like bandits. Uh, That bugged some people. Was that something that bothered you? No, I I actually kind of liked it because otherwise, I don't know, otherwise I think you would just be running around trying to level like crazy just so you could beat one aspect of it, whereas I find the whole game challenging. Mm-hmm. And so as I, that just makes it seem like more of a world to me. As you're growing, so are the people that, you know, you're supposed to be fighting. Now, did you know that it worked that way when you were playing? No, no, I had no idea until you just said that. But it makes sense. <laughs> well, that's because the everybody thing. I fight is hard. Well, that's the thing, too, is that I think I would not have minded that in the least if I didn't know about it. That's one of those things that I think is a perfectly viable approach, but it definitely helps if the player doesn't know. If the player just kind of – it's one of those things, like, if you look at how the sausage is made, it kind of doesn't taste as good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the other thing I want to ask you about, uh, their, their system of leveling your character up was, I believe, as you use a skill, the skill – uh, does it, I think the skill levels up, and is it once a skill hits a certain 
level? Like, what makes you go up a level? Do you remember? Um, I think it's that you have to level five skills. Okay, and right. And then it will say, oh, you should take a nap. And when you take a nap, you level up. So you could theoretically, and this was really easy to game, I seem to recall, like you could take, uh, there was it acrobatics, and just run around and just keep hitting the jump button. Uh, and eventually your acrobatic skill would go up, and that and maybe a few other skills you could level. Uh, did that system bother you at all for having to use skills to level up? It sounds like you weren't interested in breaking the game, so you didn't really take advantage of this. Yeah, I... I mean, I want my skills to be as high as possible. I count that as winning. Um, but for the most part, I don't level up immediately when it tells me to. I still go around and I want to level up as many skills as possible while still kind of exploring. So I admit that instead of running around, if I'm not teleporting, I'm jumping. Because um, it's fun. Jump off of things and you die. But that's what happens when you go up and down mountains. Um, but, no, it doesn't bother me. I, I definitely wasn't ever trying to break the game, um, although I guess jumping everywhere does kind of count because I was taking the cheap way of raising my acrobatics. Um, but, no, I, I actually kind of liked it because then once you went to sleep and you leveled, uh, depending on the skills that you had raised, you got a bonus to, like, intelligence or luck oh, that's or right. Right. agility. So that's why I wanted to go around and raise as many skills as possible, even beyond that five, before I went to sleep, so that I would have these crazy bonuses to apply when I finally did. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does Marley Malloy name her RPG characters? Uh, Isabel. And is that from the uh, Queen of Spain? No, it's actually, uh, I've just always liked the name. I think it's very pretty. It's spelled I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen a movie uh, with Rachel Weiss and Hugh Jackman called The Fountain? I have not. Okay. Uh, that name figures prominently in there. Uh, it's a weird movie, but maybe uh, if you like the name Isabel, that's that's a, a movie that makes great use of it, I would say. I think, uh, let's see, Fool's Rush In is one of the movies I know that the main character is named Isabel. And I love that movie, even though it's corny. I don't, I, what is that? I know that name. Matthew Perry and Selma Hayek. Oh, good Lord. Marley. Oh, come on. It's fantastic. <laughs> you just threw at me some cheese ball like light romantic comedy, didn't you? It's set in Vegas. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, would you be offended if I tell you that I'm not going to Netflix it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's old, and it really doesn't hold up that well. <laughs> uh, okay, so I don't know if you know this, but I'm about to ask you a completely random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with anything we talked about. Oh, God. Now, this is also going to be a thread in everything else. Anybody who posts in that thread uh, will be eligible to win a free game. Uh, you're also in the drawing, Marley. Uh, if you post I in... play it on my Wii? Uh, if, you want, if you want a game for the Nintendo Wii, yes. I, believe me, I have so many of those that I would love to get away, give away, and they're all terrible. I would okay. love for you to win one of these, Marley. Please. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, so wait a minute, you you do have a Nintendo Wii. You just don't have, have a 360. A I don't have a 360. Why do you have a Nintendo Wii? Because it's so much fun. What do you have for your Nintendo Wii? I have the Wii Fit, and I have that new Super Mario Brothers game that I can only play for like two hours with somebody because then we get angry and have to put it down. The the co-op one? Yep. I can't stand that game. I, oh, my God. It's It's just jumping puzzles. Oh, I hate that game. Uh, it's not jumping puzzles. It's like, I don't know. It's I mean, I grew up uh, playing the old Nintendo, of course. Yeah. And Super Mario 3, when it came out, was just amazing to us. 
And so it's a, I don't know, it's a big throwback to that era. I like it. You know what else is a big throwback to that era? Like the humiliation of junior high. I don't want to relive that either. Uh, See, I went to like the UN of high schools, so I have no idea what the real high school experience was like. The UN of high schools? What did, what did your folks do that you got to go to some internationally uh, acclaimed international Well, it's, it was a public high school, but honest to God, I thought that the high schools depicted on television and the movies were fake because everybody was really nice in my high school and the smart kids were popular and the football team was a joke. And he didn't want to be a cheerleader, and everybody – I never saw any fights. I, I never heard of people sleeping around. It was just weird. Yeah, Marley, I don't think that was high school you went to. That, that <laughs> sounds like something completely different. I didn't, wasn't aware there was any such thing like that. <laughs> I, I know. And so when I got out of high school, it was quite a shock to go to college and find out that you didn't have years of awareness and people were afraid of other races. <laughs> it was very strange to me. I uh, my I was raised by a single mother and she moved around a lot when we were younger and we uh, we lived in some places like like Big Sur and San Francisco and Switzerland and she she was basically a hippie uh, and I so vividly remember going from fourth grade in the in the Bay Area of California to fifth grade in Little Rock Arkansas uh, I remember just being basically dropped into the 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 culture and the racial tension oh, and God. the backwardness of Southern culture at its worst. Uh, oh, man, you're going to get hate for saying that. You know that, right? Well, you know what? That's fine. I, <laughs> I love Arkansas. I love some things about Arkansas. But the education system that I got dropped into <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I did not love. And it's come a long way. Uh, I'm a huge fan of what Bill Clinton did for our state over the course of me getting my education. Um, but, yeah, it, it was not pretty going from... Uh, the Bay Area to, to, to Little Rock. Uh, Sorry, so. I just derailed your question. No, no, that's okay. Okay, so here's the question. If, if so, Marley, you automatically go in the drawing, but if you want to post in the thread, in order to go in the drawing, you have to use the word will, just W-I-L-L, somewhere in your post. Uh, Marley, you don't have to say that word necessarily when you answer the question. Uh, but here's the question. Are you ready? All right. What do you call your grandparents? Let's see. Um, on my mother's side, my grandmother was called Grammy, and my grandfather was Daddy Bill. <gasps> that is awesome, Marley. Daddy Bill. Daddy <laughs> it sounds Bill. like something out of Bioshock. I love that. <laughs> All right. And on my dad's side, uh, we called my grandfather Grandpa and my grandmother Nana. Man, that's cute. That's good. But Daddy Bill. Okay, good. Daddy Bill. Uh, so, so I love asking this question because almost invariably somebody has some cool name like Daddy Bill, <laughs> what they call one of their, their grandparents. So for me, uh, I didn't know my grandfather. He was killed in, in Normandy. Uh, but my grandmother on my father's side was just plain old grandmother chick. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was Papa, which no big deal. But my grandmother on my mother's side, and I'm not sure where this came from. It was obviously a kid who came before me and couldn't pronounce whatever they were telling the kid to call my grandmother, but my grandmother was Mamu. Oh. Uh, which is just so precious. I, I, <laughs> that is adorable. <laughs> so Daddy Bill is good. So, all right, so those of you listening, uh, for a free game on the platform of your choice, preferably the Wii, because I have a bunch of Wii games to give away, just, Wii. just post in there uh, what you call your grandparents and use the word somewhere in your post, Will. W-I-L-L. Uh, Marley, thank you so much for talking to me. And by the way, as I mentioned before, I'm kind of mad at you because I really want to <laughs> go in there and play Oblivion now. 
Uh, gosh, that holds up. It was so great seeing it again. Uh, I know. It never gets old. That's, that's so true. 250 hours. Yeah. Are, are you done with it? Will you ever play it again? No. I, I'm playing it like crazy. I was just playing it, um, let's see, like four days ago, and I found like four new caves, and I was just amazed. And I still haven't found all the shrines to the, the evil gods or whatever they are. So I'm definitely still playing it. Now, wait a minute. Are you racking up achievements for Bahimaron's uh, gamer score? Any achievements that he's finished for a game, that's me. <gasps> that guy, oh, oh, I cannot <laughs> wait to give him grief. He has got his friend padding his gamer score. But with to be fair, to... I, I steal it from him, and he gets annoyed because he doesn't get to play his game. Yeah, but still, gamer score is like a badge of honor amongst us hardcore gaming geeks. I, I'm so disappointed to hear that that his is padded by a friend. <laughs> That's cheating. Uh, I'm going to call him out on that. So, uh, Marley, thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, it's been awesome getting to meet you. And I really meant that. That was so cool. I, I, I wish I could be at a party and, and talk about something as cool as you talked about with your, your master's thesis for archaeology. That was awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, this has been great. I was super nervous before you called, but this was fantastic. Well, it's quite... I use that word all the time. <laughs> it's a good word. Uh, so join us next week, those of you listening. We are going to have Mary Prankster, who used to be Blue Gaiute, uh, talking about... What was his game to talk about? I am afraid I don't remember. Wait, stand by. Everyone, please hold one second. Uh, Mary Prankster will be here to talk about... Oh, Demon's Souls. You didn't play this, did you? Because you don't have access to a PlayStation 3. I did not. Okay. Uh that was a weird – that, you know, I wonder if that would work for you. It's like a weird, hardcore, not very narrative, Diablo-y, dark Japanese RPG. Uh, so uh, If I don't have to talk to NPCs, I'm good. Oh, you so don't. You so <laughs> NPCs barely even figure into the, the game. Uh, that sounds awesome. Are they exploding barrels? Uh, I don't know that they explode. You can definitely kick and break things. So there's All a lot right, that. Yeah, you can be destructive to property. It definitely does support that. And I am in. All right. Well, we'll join us uh, next week. We'll have uh, Mary Prankster explain uh, more of it. So thanks for hanging out with me, Marley, and we will be uh, seeing you around on the forum. All right. Thank you.